0: You can uh, follow this morning's reading on page 1183 of the Church Bibles. We're going to be starting uh, the series on the letter of Paul to the Colossians. So today we're going to start at the very beginning, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God... And Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Ian, thank you so much for reading for us. Um, I hope you've all got uh, sight of Colossians 1, that would be um, especially useful. You might want sight of the outline as well, it's uh, relatively straightforward, but you could scribble down notes if you want, but let me uh, lead us in prayer again as we begin. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for how the word of Christ has already been dwelling amongst us richly, as we have been singing your word to one another, and we pray the word of Christ might continue to dwell in us as we hear your word, give us ears to hear, and would we be eager to speak what we hear you say to one another, that we might be built up in Christ and prove to be those who endure in him. In his name and for your glory we ask it. Amen. It is the 12th of August, 2017, and it's 10 to 10 on a warm summer's night. The setting is the London Olympic Stadium, and 60,000 eyes in the stands are all fixed on one man, the fastest man in the world, Usain Bolt. Maybe we were there, perhaps we were one of the millions watching on TV, and if so, we'll know what comes next. Great news for the UK as they claim gold in the relay, but heartbreak for Usain Bolt as down the final straight he collapses on the track in a heap. What is meant to be his crowning glory in his final event ends up as a DNF, did not finish. It's awful, isn't it? Starting off so well, but not making it to the end. And that's the danger here in this letter to the Christians in Colossae. It's the danger all of us face in the Christian life, starting well, but not crossing the finish line, being a D-N-F. If you've got your Bibles open, Paul spells it out for us. Just look over to chapter one, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, Or just scan down to chapter two, verse four. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Two, verse eight, see to it no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Again, chapter two, verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you. Or verse 18, let no one disqualify you. We get the idea, don't we, that the dangers are the same now as then. Paul is writing to strong believers to keep them going and warn them of things that might derail them. In the coming weeks, we'll think a bit more about it. But basically, it's all gospel plus. That, that danger of thinking we need more in the Christian life. Maybe we've seen the ads on the internet. Perhaps they only come up on my browser. But uh, the higher life movement the Think Better, Live Better journal, Become a Better You, or this might be my favourite, the Manifestation Conference an International Gathering of Champions. I didn't make up a single one of those. All of them telling us, sure, you may be a Christian, but you want more, don't you? If you want to be a more fulfilled Christian, if you want to live the better life now, then read this book. Come to this church. Join this conference. I guess for lots of us, if not all of us, we often feel we don't quite measure up in the Christian life. Perhaps we feel a little second rate as a Christian. Maybe like we're lagging behind. We look around and think everyone else is doing a better job than we are. Even church leaders can feel like that. And if it's true for us, then Colossians is especially on point because we're more open, more susceptible to something or someone offering a quick fix, a shortcut, an added extra, just more in the Christian life to get us closer to Jesus. And the solution, the answer, is the same now as then. It is to remember we have absolutely everything we need in Jesus. It is to comprehend with greater clarity and wonder how incredibly brilliant it is to be a Christian, Now, we mustn't move on from Jesus or add anything to the gospel. Really, the big idea of the letter is to know we have absolutely everything we need in Jesus, to grasp the utter supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. And then, we will keep going and keep growing as a Christian. You see, the way on in the Christian life is the same as the way in. Just uh, look with me, I think, uh, chapter 2, verse uh, 6 and 7. We will get to chapter one. Chapter two, verses six and seven. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That is the question. Will the Christians in Colossae continue to walk in Christ? Well, if any of us are to avoid being a did not finish, We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to remember how we started in the Christian life and keep going on that track. And that's where Paul begins his letter. So chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Uh, So Paul hadn't met these Christians before. In two, verse one, he talks about those who haven't seen him face to face. And he hadn't started this church either. We see that in verse 7, they heard the gospel from Epaphras. In fact, Paul's writing from prison after Epaphras has come to him with a report of how the Christians in Colossia are getting on. And Paul's encouraged, but he's also disturbed they might veer off course. So, did we notice verse 1? Paul introduces himself as an apostle, he is a, a spokesman of Jesus Christ. That's his way of stressing his authority. Because an apostle is someone sent to carry a message with the full authority of the sender. Paul is sent by Jesus Christ to carry the message of Jesus Christ with the full authority of Jesus Christ. So, Paul's words, they're not just the opinion of a great missionary in the early church, he is the mouthpiece of Christ. Uh, By the will of God, verse 1, means it's not his own choosing. He's not self-appointed. He has this role by God's grace alone. And it means Paul is the real deal. He's an authenticated messenger. And then just look with me to verse 2 and see if you can spot the address the letter is sent to. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, Paul calls them saints and faithful brothers. They're, they're genuine Christians. And their address is at Colossae, but also in Christ. Uh, not just in Colossae, in Christ, one with Him. He had called this group of people to belong to Himself. And, and there they were, different from everyone around them, but faithful, loyal to Jesus. And Paul is desperate for that to carry on being the case. And it's why in verses three to eight, he tells them of his thankfulness for their start in the Christian life. That's our first point. You'll see on the outline this morning, the start of the Christian life. The Christians in Colossae are the real deal. It would make sense, wouldn't it? If Paul wants the Colossians to know the way on is the same as the way in in the Christian life, to remind them of that way in, how they first became Christians. And because Paul's never met them, He wants them to know that he knows they are genuine believers. Does that make sense? He wants them to know that he knows they are the real deal. So just look with me to verse 3 again. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul gives three evidences of their start in the Christian life. And you see, the first piece of evidence is he's thankful for their faith in the Lord Jesus. And not just a vague faith in God, not an undefined faith in a God, but a personal faith, a trust in a person, a trust in Jesus. They've grasped Jesus isn't just a figure of history, but a living person, fully man and fully God, And they've put their trust in him, who he is, and that he can save them. It might just be that's new to us. We think Christianity is a a religion, but fundamentally it is a relationship. You see, Paul doesn't say, I'm thankful you go to church, though Christians will be committed to weekly attendance at church. You know, it is possible to go to church and not be a Christian. It's even possible to be involved in church, and not be a Christian. Paul doesn't say he's thankful to God for how nice they are. Often I think we confuse being nice and moral with being a Christian. But being religious doesn't equal Christianity, and being nice doesn't equal Christianity, though it's no excuse not to be nice. Now the issue is, how have we put our faith, our trust, our dependence in Jesus Christ? Are we leaning all of our weight confidently on him uh, he's also thankful for the second evidence uh, their love for all other christians uh, that is a sign god's at work uh, just think about it normally in human societies everyone joins a club because they've all got the same interest uh, so at the netball club everyone who joins likes netball they're all like an educated sophisticated people uh, everyone who joins an orchestra is a uh, very musical or at least we hope they are When we join the Christian church, we find God has taken on all sorts of people, all types. Perhaps when you first came along to St. John's, you thought to yourself as you looked around, can I really hang out with these people? They're just so uncool, they're so not like me. But if we are a genuine Christian, then we'll love other Christians, no matter how big our differences are. Paul's going to spell out what that looks like for us in chapter three. The fact it's often so difficult it shows us it's only a work of God. And then thirdly, what are the faith and love based on? The third piece of evidence from verse five, their hope of heaven. And they weren't living for this world, but for the next. Perhaps surprisingly, Paul could even say it's the basis for their faith and love. They have a sure and certain hope in Christ that will be revealed when he returns So they trust him and they love his people. Their faith and love are based on the content of their hope, not airy, fairy, wishful thinking. So hope here is an objective reality rather than a subjective longing. So it's not Jono saying, I hope Everton will go undefeated in all competitions this year. In fact, it's rather late for that, I gather. No, this, is, uh, this is more the child with a, a vast trust fund. He doesn't have to worry about getting all A stars because their hope is locked up for them in some investment portfolio, which they're definitely going to get when they hit 21. It's something stored away, guaranteed, it's there for safekeeping. When I was younger, my father used to hide chocolates away for safekeeping in various places around the house. I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but I am now. And I remember someone or other finding a box of moldy after eights that he had clearly hidden and forgotten about. And my dad squirreled them away for safekeeping, uh, but there was always the chance a child might find them. The chocolates actually were far from safe. The Christian's hope is 100% safe. Our hope in heaven is infinitely better, infinitely more secure than a Swiss bank account. It is all guaranteed, all thoroughly achieved through Jesus' death on the cross. It is a done deal. And so did you notice who Paul thanks for their start in the Christian life? If we were writing, we'd probably say, well done to the Colossians, but Paul thanks God because he knows it is all his work. How exactly did the Colossians become Christians? Where did this faith, this love, this hope come from? We'll just look at verse five again with me. Halfway through. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Uh, For once, it's a church. Paul didn't start. Epaphras rocks up at Colossae with the good news about Jesus, the word of the truth. And what did the Colossians do? They hear it, understand it, and then respond to it, even learn it. If anyone here is not yet a Christian, you need to know that. We're called to a relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe. It is the most astonishing, remarkable thing to be a Christian. But if we're ever to make a start in the Christian life, it's the message of the New Testament we need to come into contact with. The word of the truth, the gospel. Christianity isn't just caught like a a bug. One day we wake up and we've got it. Christianity starts with the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And so can I I draw our attention to the verbs at the end of verse six and in verse seven. We need to hear the message, understand the message, even verse seven, learn the message. It's what we're trying to do on Sunday evenings at the moment. It may not sound very exciting, I know, but it is powerful. Just occasionally I hear people talk about studying and church as if they have nothing to do with each other. And of course, a merely cerebral, intellectual faith is no good at all. But we mustn't think we leave our brains at the door when we come to church on a Sunday or, or turn up to growth group. No, we are to read and hear, understand, learn, study. That true Christianity is certainly more than just understanding the Bible. We've just been saying it is a relationship with Jesus Christ but it is through hearing and understanding and learning the gospel revealed in God's word that we grow in our knowledge of him. And if we're a Christian here this morning, we need to know this too. Our friends won't become Christians just by some form of osmosis as they hang out with Christians. They need to hear, understand the good news about Jesus. And so we need to make sure they hear it and pray to God they would understand it. And the way we can see if someone's learnt the gospel is if they're bearing fruit. Right from the very first chapter of the Bible, we see people were made to be fruitful. That is God's purpose. And Colossians 1 tells us we can only be fruitful if we've been changed by the gospel. We've mentioned already, haven't we? Today is Harvest Sunday, and it is right to give thanks for his abundant material provision. We mustn't take it for granted very easy to do that. Uh, but Colossians 1 shows us the ultimate fruit God is working for is gospel fruit, a gospel harvest. Uh, do you remember, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so how is God's rule through his people seen in the world today? How do we fulfill the creation mandate of Genesis 1 by the gospel spreading as people turn in repentance and put their trust in Jesus and as they become more and more like him. So just think about it. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have been caught up in God's purposes for all of history, filling the earth, being fruitful, multiplying, living out God's good and glorious rule over his world. I wonder if, like Paul, that makes us grateful The Colossians were genuine Christians who had heard and accepted the genuine gospel through a genuine minister, Epaphras. Are we thankful when people put their trust in Jesus? Does it make us grateful when we see Christians loving one another? We're thankful to God because it is all his work. Perhaps we can see all the ways Paul describes the gospel in verses five and six. It's the word of the truth. The gospel is true, it's reliable. Being a Christian isn't believing despite no evidence, it's believing because of the evidence. Verse six, it's the grace of God. It is all utterly undeserved, start to finish. The gospel is all about what God has done, not what we do. And so these characteristics, they're a great checklist, aren't they? Do we share this faith in Christ Jesus, this love for other genuine Christians that come from a sure hope? If you're not sure, Please chat to someone after the service. It'd be a great thing to talk about. Is the gospel bearing fruit in our lives? Is it growing? Are we passionate about telling other people about Jesus? I have a a bookmark given to me by my grandfather some years ago now, and it says on it, "Now, if we were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Maybe you've got one like that. And Paul can say yes, a confident yes for the Christians in Colossae, even though he's never met them. And like Paul, are we longing to see both people become Christians, but also people growing as Christians? Because Paul knows that a good start is worth nothing if someone falters. And so he moves from the start of the Christian life to praying for the heart of the Christian life. That's our second point, verses 9 to 14, the heart of the Christian life. Now, Because these are are genuine believers in Colossae who've made a definite start in the Christian life, Paul turns to prayer. Can you see the link, verse nine? And so, really he's saying because of this. Verses three to eight are why he prays. Verses nine to 14 are what he prays. So we've already seen the gospel produces fruit in verse six and it grows as more people become believers. Uh, But now Paul is desperate for that to continue as he prays without ceasing, verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now just so we don't miss the wood for the trees, maybe we're kind of nodding off already. Paul is saying uh, one big thing. He's praying one big thing for the Colossians with lots of implications. Paul is asking God for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of his will. So just think for a moment, I wonder what kind of things we want in life, at school or at work or at home. Just for a moment, answer that question in your head. What, What do I want in life? Well, the much more important question is, what does God want for our lives? And actually, we find true joy and contentment when what we want begins to align with what God wants. That little phrase, to know the will of God, is often misunderstood. We think it means God telling me the detailed specifics for His plan for my life, what His will for my future is, my A levels, my university, my job, my marriage, should I move overseas, should I start a new project. Uh, so I, I pray for a knowledge of God's will and expect him to communicate it to me somehow. You know, kind of leave out a blank sheet of paper and pray in the morning, it'll all be written out for me. Uh, like the guy who was perplexed about which girl to ask out and he prays and opens his Bible at random at Isaiah 55, verse 12. He shall go out with joy. Uh, but for Paul, though, God's will isn't something hidden that needs to be worked out. It's not some fuzzy feeling about what we think God wants for our lives now, God has made his will known for us in the gospel. God's will is for Jesus to be preeminent over all things and all people. We'll see that next week. And Paul prays the Colossians would understand that and live that out more and more. Now, what Paul is on about here is knowing how to please God and live a life worthy of all he is, of all that he's done for us. Bearing fruit by doing good works, being strengthened to endure when things are tough, and patiently, joyously giving thanks to God for His saving grace. So we could say, Paul prays for the Colossians to know what God wants and then to do what God wants." Perhaps that makes it a bit more kind of tangible for us. know what God wants and do what God wants. Our lives should revolve around what God wants, not what we want. And then if we do that, verses 10 to 12 of the outworking. And so filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So uh, don't forget, there's one headline prayer, knowing what God wants so we can do what God wants. And it's unpacked with four descriptions. And so firstly, there's bearing fruit in every good work. The gospel not only bears fruit all over the world, but in the life of every believer as we live more and more like Jesus. And uh, next, there is increasing or growing in the knowledge of God. Again, the gospel is increasing all over the world, verse six, and the same word is used again in the sense that the gospel also grows in the life of every Christian too. We grow in the knowledge of God. There is always more to know. The Christian life is never static. It's a living, growing, deepening relationship with God. And the third outcome of being filled with the knowledge of God's will is being strengthened to endure. May not sound that exciting, but given all we were seeing in Revelation last weekend, it's vital, isn't it? God needs to keep us going. As one writer puts it, endurance in impossible situations, patience with impossible people. And then finally, giving thanks for salvation. It's where Paul began, isn't it? Back in verse 3, giving thanks to God. It's a theme we're going to keep coming back to again and again in this letter thankfulness to god is one of the key indicators of spiritual maturity and it's a great thing to pray for ourselves and for one another joyful gratitude day by day these verses have been a great encouragement for me both to pray and knowing what to pray and perhaps we find having a quiet time each day a devotional time each day hard And maybe we struggle to know what to pray for others here at St. John's or our mission partners. Why not have these verses written out and pray them in each day this week for ourselves, for for one another? We could have a a list of the folk in our growth group and, and pray this in for them. We shouldn't be content for someone to be a Christian and that be it, we should long for them to be pleasing Jesus more and more, growing in their knowledge of him, enduring patiently until Jesus returns or we go to be with him, and doing all of it with great joy and thankfulness. And we pray it for ourselves too, don't we? Like Usain Bolt in that final race, a good start is useless if we don't keep going. Paul's prayer takes us to the heart of the Christian life it is about knowing God's will knowing his gospel plan all about Jesus and knowing it more and more being filled with it with all the wisdom and understanding he gives and we'll see in chapter 2 all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ and longing to know Jesus better being filled with God's will being gripped by the gospel will transform the way we live as we live lives worthy of our Lord and Saviour Would that not be a wonderful thing to see happening more and more here at St. John's? Surely that should get us itching to pray. Wouldn't it be incredible in a year's time to see more and more people passionate about knowing Jesus, living in line with the gospel, growing as believers, enduring patiently, giving joyful thanks to the Father? Will we pray it will be the case? But perhaps someone's saying, I'm I'm sorry, but it is just too hard to have Jesus at the center. And it's why I love the way Paul ends this section, praying their lives will be marked not by guilt, but by gratitude. And gratitude focuses not on what we do for God, but on what he has done for us. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we can be more specific than simply saying God's crown must be at the core of our lives. Christ's kingdom must rule every area of our lives. And God takes us out of the dark dominion of self-government, transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son, And when that is true for us, the wonderful news is that Jesus rescues everyone he rules. He forgives our sin. So as we close, we've got to ask ourselves, have I started out in the Christian life? Perhaps we've heard the gospel, but never really understood it. Or actually, we've understood it, but we've never really accepted it. But if we have accepted it, then is Jesus at the heart of my life? When we first became a Christian, it was an act of accepting the good news about Jesus, believing the word of truth about him, and putting him at the centre of my life. And to carry on as a Christian, to grow as a Christian, is just to do that more and more each day. To keep believing, and to let Jesus be at the centre of every thought, every ambition, every decision I make. And have we realized what an amazing, exciting, reality-transforming thing it is to be a Christian? I wonder what stops us praying like Paul? What stops us asking God continually to fill us with his will so we can know how to live for Jesus more and more? Yesterday I was at a wedding and after just a few minutes in conversation with many fake, it was very clear they loved Jesus, had a relationship with him, and it was such a joy uh, to hear, uh, to see their passion for Jesus, their love for other believers, their longing to see the gospel bearing fruit. I'm so encouraged when chatting with people here at St. John's and, and they're so quick to speak of Jesus, wanting to know him more and more through his word, wanting to, to live for him more and more in every area of their lives. And for more of us here at St. John's to be like that and for us to keep growing in that and not be a DNF where we need to pray. So let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you so much for the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to us, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. We pray it would bear fruit and grow in us, amongst us. We pray that you might fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we might be those who walk in a manner worthy of Jesus fully pleasing to him and would we be those who bear fruit in every good work who are growing in our knowledge of you day by day who are being strengthened by your power to keep going and who are joyfully thanking you for Jesus and the salvation we have in him and please help us to speak these words to one another that all of us might be those who keep going to the end. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.